Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Do you think bananas are healthy? Think again. I'm Dr. Stephen Gundry, best-selling author of the Plant Paradox series, and on the Dr. Gundry Podcast, you're going to learn the foods to eat and the ones to avoid, to lose weight, boost your energy, and feel your most vibrant, active self this year. You'll also learn simple tips from the world's top experts on health and nutrition. Plus, you'll discover the truth about calories, how running could actually be hurting your health, and why fat won't make you fat. Subscribe now to the Dr. Gundry Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Because I'm Dr. Gundry, and I'm always looking out for you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. We've had such great guests lately. Gary, well done on all the guests. And today's guest is no exception. Just a reminder, uh, check us out on TikTok, of course, um, trying to build a little presence there, as well as drdrew.tv, drdrew.com, where you can uh, see all the different things we're doing. And uh, uh, there's some crazy crap that I'm involved with that uh, we will bring in a whole bunch of guests on my streaming show to sort of respond to and deal with and kind of work our way through it. Um, if you keep up with the Adam and Dr. Drew show, you'll find out what I'm talking about. But that is not the topic for today. Today it is Katie Milkman. The book is How to Change, The Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. Uh, this is a groundbreaking book based on research at Wharton School of Business, uh, where Katie Milkman is the James D. Dinan, am I pronouncing that correct here, professor at the Wharton School, uh, of course, at Penn. Also a secondary appointment at the medical school at Penn. Uh, this is uh, interesting observations and data from the field of behavioral psychology is something I'm very interested in. Do I call you Professor Milkman, Dr. Milkman? What's the official title? Well, the official title is either of those, but I prefer if you call me Katie. Okay, I'll call you Katie. But I, I come from a, a history of training in my undergraduate years in New England where Professor outranked everything, so everyone was called professor, <laughs> professor, professor. So, so somehow I accept either as, right, a, fair as enough. a title. But I, I will call you Katie authority. because it's, it's more more conversational for today. So I am deeply interested in change. Okay, uh, obviously I work with drug addicts, alcoholics, people with serious mental illness, where change is a mate. I mean, it is the most difficult uh, circumstances for change when people's lives literally depend upon it and you're fighting a broken motivational system that fights change even more powerfully than in the sort of, shall we say, the normal brain. Uh, and I don't like using words like that, but I'll use it for the minute. Um, oh, and by the way, I'm going to tell everyone, go find Katie at K-A-T-Y Milkman, just like it sounds, dot com, Katie underscore Milkman on Twitter. Uh, and again, the book is available on Amazon as you listen. So I'll let you kind of take it away a little bit. I'm sure I'll have a billion questions. Just give me the basic um, beats, the construct of – I'm interested in what the average person needs to take from the book, so to speak. Does that make sense? And then yeah, what you absolutely. learned and maybe more powerfully, what you learned writing the book in terms of uh, data that surprised you, data that's important. I'll just let you – and I, I will – and I'm going to apologize to you and the audience – I'm fascinated by this topic, so I'm going to interrupt you when stuff catches my fancy. That's okay, great. so so here we go. Have at it. That sounds fabulous. Okay, well, I think the overarching lesson of the book, which is really the overarching lesson of my career studying behavior change, is that a lot of us make a really crucial mistake. A lot of I will say change gurus make a crucial mistake when giving guidance about what will solve for change because um, a lot of us reach for solutions that sound great, but they're sort of a one size fits all and they're not taking into account what is it that's actually obstructing change. And, and the answer is it depends if you're thinking about what will work for creating change. It's not that, you know, you, everybody needs big audacious goals or to visualize success. It depends on what the obstacle is. So, um, you know, talking to a, a medical doctor, let me just point out that, um, th this is like really similar to diagnosing an ailment, mm -hmm. right? People can have headaches for all different reasons and you'd give really different treatments depending on what the underlying cause is. But we treat change as if, you know, everyone should just get the same solution. So, so examples so, so, are. So let's start with yeah. that. How, how does one go about. Uh, I, so what you're saying is you're interested in change 
for would would the very first step be why are you interested in change, or would the first <laughs> step be uh, assessing what's preventing you from changing, or both? So. Um, my book is totally agnostic agnostic on why you're interested in change. Okay. My goal is just to help. I'm assuming you are, or else you wouldn't have picked it up. <laughs> okay, and then I'm going to try to offer the best advice based on science that might be helpful. And, and so then that make, means the first step is really diagnosing the obstacle. And the obstacles that are most common are the ones I focus on in the book. So they range from um, confidence to uh, temptation, you know, or impulsivity. And, you know, in the case of addiction, you could use even mm-hmm. stronger language mm-hmm, than that, mm-hmm, right? Um, to uh, simply, this one I think is vastly underestimated, but really important, forgetting uh, to inertia, right? Like what are your existing habits and autopilots and defaults in your life? So there's a wide range of different barriers that stand in the way of change, uh, including getting started, just working up the motivation to get started. And whichever it is, you need a different solution, right? If you're forgetting to take your medication, you need something really different to solve that problem than if you're not taking, because it has nasty side effects that, you know, you know, it's good for you, but the instant experience is so awful that you can't bring yourself to do it. So really different solutions needed. Okay, let, and then the let, book goes let, into let, that. Let me, z- I want to zero in on two of these. Um, sure. And you need to buy the book to get the rest. Sorry. Sorry, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. Uh, so so let, let me start with the easy one, which is getting started. Um, mm. and, and do you get into the stages of change, the contemplation, pre-contemplation, all that kind of stuff? That's a wonderful question. The stages of change model is so brilliant. And, um, you know, I actually don't get into that in the book because I, I felt that the most um, relevant insight that I could add that was really new and fresh was uh, about the the timing of when a change is most likely to work out which, as opposed to your own internal sort of state. That's almost, what? that's like me- very what, meta. What is the time? Um, yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah. And, and by the way, let me, I'm just going to give a, I'm going to toss this little bomb out. Um, you can deal with it or not, which is that in my experience on the stages of change, the biggest thing is maintenance. Uh, yeah. Plenty of people make change, but maintaining the change, impossible. <laughs> That's, chapter, like, seven. Okay, That's chapter seven. Okay, good. Okay, We'll get to that book. later. We'll I, I get totally to chapter agree. seven. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I, I could not agree more with that point. Um uh, okay, so when, when are the times? And that's what, so this is external, whereas the stages of change are internal. Like, yep. when am I internally motivated? Yep. This is like, well, when might you be internally motivated? There's some things that we know. Okay, so um, I've done a bunch of research on what I call the fresh start effect, which um, refers to moments in our lives when we feel like we're we're at a new beginning, a chapter break. Oh, that's if you will. interesting. I don't think everyone, I think we all know what you're talking about, it, but I don't think everyone's really written about that scientifically. I mean, in, yeah. in, a, in a lay you know, publication. This, that's awesome. Yeah. So this is something I've been studying for the last decade, which is that, um, and it was really inspired actually by going and giving a presentation at Google and getting a great question from an HR leader there who said, um, okay, like we get that there's all these tools that we should be encouraging our employees to use to improve their wellness, their, you know, saving, their financial well-being, their productivity. But like, when might they be open to taking them up? And I was like, great question. Let yeah, me and, go and, study and, that. Right. And just, you know, you know, in my world, um, what it what it becomes? How do I know somebody's workable that that I can that I can I, that I can get them moving forward in the right way? And and uh, sometimes that's a little magical, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna bet you have an ineffable quality to it at sometimes, but absolutely, yeah. But, for but sometimes my, it's 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 sometimes it's something concrete. Yeah, for me what, it's for me I can predict you know near death, loss of a child, loss of freedom. Ah, you're workable. And then there's this other mm-hmm. category. It's sort of magical. But keep going. So interesting um, yeah. that those are the ones you picked out. So, okay, so there's two sort of sets of categories that we we study and other or others have studied that relate to these chapter break moments. Mm-hmm. So these are moments that, right, just to be super precise about what I'm talking about, they feel like you're opening a new chapter in your life because you're facing some kind of new beginning. And it might be small. It might be, you know, New Year's, which is like, oh, it's a new year. It's a new beginning in that sense. And we see, of course, New Year's resolutions are one example of a fresh start effect um, in the world. But also things as small as the, new, uh, the start of a new week or month seem to motivate. We've shown that um, there's upticks and searches for the term diet on Google for uh, there's an increase in goal setting on popular goal setting websites. And there's also increases in um, the rate at which undergraduates visit the gym well, around and, those dates and, and, to that and also point, birthdays. Yeah. To that point, uh, I'm now now pulling from sort of nicotine research. Setting a date for change is really you know, like deciding when you're going to start is very important. Totally. Yeah. And these, and we've shown in some of our work that if you um, point out that a date on the calendar 
if you relabel it and point out that it's a fresh start, like this is your birthday or yeah. this is um, the first day of spring is a, is a good example of when we've tried with like, we give you two dates when you could start pursuing a goal or two calendars and you choose the date. And on one calendar, we sort of labeled the 20th of um, March. This is the first day of spring. And the other, we just label like this is the third Thursday in March. We see this gigantic uptick in how many people are attracted to that as a, as a date to begin when we've labeled it with a fresh start date. Same with saving for retirement. We invite people to say, start saving. And this is not hypothetical. It's real experiment with thousands of employees. Um, would you like to start saving for retirement? You can enroll and we'll start you in the program on this future date. And either the future, it's the same future date for everyone, but for some of them we've labeled, it's your birthday. <laughs> and it's, you know, for others would of course recognize their birthday. We we're just giving them a month. So we're saying, you know, would you like to start in four months? And you may not immediately think that's my birthday versus would you like to start after your birthday, which happens to be in four months. So it's um, a little bit of playing games. With our, we got to learn to play games with our mind, our brain. Little bit. Or just recognize those opportunities that those moments, if you if you see them and they can even be people can call them out for you, we tend to be both naturally more motivated to change if we notice them. And if people label them for us, uh, that helps. So those are really those are psychological moments. And I write about that in the book. But then there's actually sort of bigger fresh starts, even than the psychological ones, dates that come not only with that sort of I feel like I have a clean slate and a new beginning, and yeah, the old me didn't do it, but the new me can. And so it gives us that identity shift. There are also dates when we literally have change in our lives, and that is even better because if all you've got is a psychological fresh start, you know, there's no nothing working for you besides your motivation. But imagine you move to a new job or a new um, city or, well, or a new house within the same city. Yeah. Um, those are moments when literally your routines may change, right? Like I, I had a bad habit of going to Dunkin' Donuts on my commute to work uh, at my old job, but now at my new job, like I don't have any habits. So I have a clean slate and a big opportunity. So they're, they're both fresh start moments that are purely psychological and those that come with some actual big opportunities because you have a literal blank slate to, to change behavior. I, I have noticed that those new me moments, let, let's call them that, label them that for the moment, um, that are not specifically brought in by an external state of affairs. Like it's something that you choose to do mm. uh, is resisted because I think on a subconscious level what I've noticed and that people are not aware of, and even when they're experiencing it after the fact, aren't usually aware that that's what's happening. There's a certain amount of grief that goes with that because when a new me emerges, an old me dies. And, the, and our brain just hates grief, hates it, hates it, hates it, even when it's sort of roiling around on a subconscious level. Do you deal with that at all? That's a really interesting question. I mean, we haven't seen any evidence of that in in the data we've gathered. So the the data has been pretty uniformly positive from all the studies we've done. I'm not saying but, they get depressed so much as there's a, a – if you've, if you've ever been in therapy, there's a characteristic experience that happens. You get a little depressed as the old new me – this new self emerges and the old one is left behind. It's, it's depressing a little bit. Very, it's very subtle. Yeah. It's not like you would measure it even. I don't think it would show up on any yeah. measurable thing. But it's, I think it's the source of some of the resistance to change. It's interesting. Well, yeah. we mostly see optimism as the sort of key – trait and people feeling like because the old me, you know, couldn't quit smoking or couldn't oh, so you know, get relief. home in time for there's relief. Yeah, there's so a they, relief they, they like didn't like the old me. That's interesting. Exactly. Okay. And but I actually what you're pointing to is relevant because um and I think this is a really important point about fresh starts. They can be negative when you're doing well. Mm. So mo what what I've studied in terms of the benefits of fresh starts involves people who have a goal they would like to achieve or there's something there's generally not doing enough of mm -hmm. and something they want to change because it's not going well. But there's some research by one of my students, Heng Chen Dai, who's now a professor at UCLA at the Anderson School of Business there. Um, she's shown that fresh starts for someone who's doing really well um, can be harmful. So she has a really neat research that she's done it in the lab, but also in the field. She has this neat paper actually on um, professional baseball. Mm where she looks at when players are traded across teams, which is a sort of fresh start, but she specifically focuses on the difference between two players, both of whom are traded to new teams, but one of whom is traded across leagues and therefore all their performance statistics to date are reset. So they have to start again. Oh, and that's interesting. A record Never thought about versus, that. 
Yeah, it's right. really neat versus the ones who are traded within league. So they also experience a trade and, and disruption, but they get to hold on to their stats. And the players who were doing well before the trade um, do significantly worse uh, when they're traded across leagues and mm-hmm. lose all of their sort of, you know, good uh, good trajectory and have to start over than the ones who um, were doing well and get to get traded within league. And of course, she sees the opposite for the players who are underperforming. It's good for the players who are underperforming to get cr- traded across leagues because they can wipe out that bad record and start fresh. But when you're on a roll, it's harmful. And then in lab studies, she shows this as well with people playing different games, um, having a fresh start is harmful when things have been going well. Is, so I think that's related to what you're thinking about. Gary has a question. Yes, it is. Gary just, has a question. Just out of curiosity, does she focus on like European soccer or football or something like that? I'm, I'm trying to think of like within the NBA, how do you get traded across leagues? Major League Baseball. Oh, Major League Baseball. National, yeah, American National League, League yeah. to American yeah. League. Yeah, 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 Understood. You got Sorry. it. Didn't you even got think it. Of it. Yeah. So, so let's get back on track with the fresh starts. So, so do most people who are having a fresh start, again, I'm thinking of internally motivated fresh starts, is it because things aren't going so well and they need a fresh start? You know, they're sort of, is it a new day, a new dawn? And and that that feels, um, I don't know, it feels difficult to get to that internally. Is it? Yeah, it's a really, really interesting question. So we've mostly done like large empirical studies just showing, look, like if you look in aggregate at thousands of people, you see these patterns where thousands more want to create goals on these dates or thousands more go to the gym, thousands more search for the term diet rather than doing the sort of anthropological research where we observe like what's the or even, you know, even the deep psychological questionnaires where we ask them what's going on. The I'd say the deepest information we have about the internal state is that these moments, people say that they make them feel more separated from their past selves than they otherwise would. Um, they are more likely to step back and think big picture about their lives at these moments because they're sort of a disruption from the day to day. Uh, and they feel more optimistic. So those are sort of the key things going on. But we we don't we haven't found like big differences in different types of people. Mostly so I, because I, we haven't hunted for it. I'm a little fascinated, Gary. Bear, bear me, uh, back me up on this. Um, I'm just examining my own internal sort of world landscape right now, and I feel like I'm heading towards a little bit of a fresh start of some type. It's kind of interesting, but part of it I think is motivated by coming out the other side of COVID. Yeah, and, and so I'm wondering if that's going to create more of this as we all emerge from this thing. We all want to get going, have a fresh start. Let's move on. Um, I, I funny when I drove in Gary this morning, I was thinking about this a little bit. And I didn't know I was going to interview Katie, but I, but I was thinking about um, sort of. I, here's what I I'm just going to I'm going to go all the way down the rabbit hole with my stuff, and you see if it has relevance to what your research shows. Which is, um, I was thinking, oh, thank God. That I can sit here and take all this horror, these horrors on social media, and not be worrying about a hospital administration. I've sort of, I've sort of done the Corolla thing of having a lot of autonomy now. I sort of make my living doing podcasting and media. It's something I've, and it's all owned by me. Nobody else, you know what I mean? I have nobody to. Yep. Yeah, well, you sort of did a reset about you know four or five years ago when you sort of went all in. Not to say you stopped practicing medicine, but you sort of said, you know, yeah. I'm going to go into the entertainment yeah, yeah. space. Well, and I, then- I'm going to go into the media thing. I'm going to go do sure. media and focus on that. And I, I let go of the addiction medicine stuff a little bit. I yeah. let go of the hospital based stuff. And then I think the and- COVID is a is a good one too because I personally can tell you that I you know I I was we're joking with Katie beforehand about how when I got my first vaccine shot, I I thought about making one of those you know construction paper loop chains that you would make as a child and you rip one off every day like anticipation of a Disneyland trip. Yeah. And I finally got to two weeks after my second shot and it was the biggest relief in the world. My wife and I went out for dinner and we sat in a yeah. restaurant. We looked around and we were like, oh, and, and don't worry, I'm, I'm going to tell Adam about your mom making you do these loop chain paper things. No, that was don't, my own idea. Don't, don't, don't worry. That's going to come up in the <laughs> show. But, 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 it was, but it's a but, full but, reset. It's like it's – But it, back to Katie's thing though. But I've been uh, moving toward this as you pointed out, Gary, for about four years. It takes a while to get to these moments of fresh start. Maybe talk about, again, these moments of change. Yeah, well, okay. First, let me just say that I completely agree with both of you that the sort of quote-unquote end of COVID, though there's not a moment when it ends, yeah. but we're all feeling like there's a chapter closing and a new chapter hopefully opening, yeah. Yeah. whether it's the moment you get that second vaccine or 14 days later or when you have the first reunion or go back to the office for the first time. Yeah. Uh, whatever it is, a lot of us are going to experience a fresh start in the next few months that feels pretty momentous. And actually, I just 
um, finished writing an op-ed about why that is and what we can do with it uh, to sort of come out around the same time. Tell as us, what, can, what can so we do with it? seems like we should be very, we should be really focusing on it and <laughs> well, do the most we can with it. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of, that's sort of what all the rest of the chapters of the book are about. Cause I, okay. I open with like the, the fresh start effect, but I think um, as you would certainly recognize, right. Like feeling like I want to do this is only the very beginning of yeah. change. Like that it all it does is it gets you <laughs> Yeah. Off your butt. <laughs> Excuse my French. Yeah. And like you're so you're excited, you're leaning forward, but now what do you do? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of things. One of the things that I actually well, let me just say one of the things that I think is really interesting that I hope people will do is recognize what they've learned in the last year. Because most of our lives we spend not experimenting with what works for us. Um, and we had this huge forced experiment, this huge disruption to our usual lives. And some of us might have discovered things we actually want to hold on to. So rather than just like going back to normal without any learning from a very unusual year, uh, if there's something like, for instance, my family ended up, we we take a hike together every Saturday and every Sunday in a nearby park. We discovered a beautiful trail that we'd never visited before. And it's one of the best parts of my week is much better than a lot of the things we used to do on the weekends. Mm. And so a, a discovery I plan to take into the new era is I want to keep doing that hike. I era. mean, yeah. Just calling so, it a new era is already, wow, we're calling it a yeah, new era. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, okay, so that's one thing. But um, there's lots of other things as well. I, I think a huge one is planning, um, which is a really mundane answer, but a really important one that uh, that by actually think, doing some structured thinking about, and I just said, you know, one of the things to think about is what you experimented with at work, but literally what what do you want to have be different and what is your plan for achieving that? And really concrete, not like, oh, high level, like I want to I want to exercise more. My plan is to go to the gym more, but rather, uh, you know, exactly how are you going to accomplish that? Like, oh, OK, I, I you know, I literally joined this gym or I am going to go join this running group and I will on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 4 p.m. <laughs> be going on a jog because I, I, this is my decision. So this is a good moment to sort of make those really concrete plans with triggers to help start carrying us through. Triggers are important. That's that's a very big topic just by itself. But but uh, but let me, um, I, it's not really pushing back, but sort of follow on to that, which is, in in my life, a lot of change is about walking through a door where I don't really know what's on the other side and I can't plan because I yeah. really don't know what's there. So planning is a, an hour by hour, day in, day out kind of a evaluation. Talk Absolutely. to me about talking about and to me that's actually the most exciting kind of change. Talk to me about that. That's really true. And I and I'm totally with you. And that that is right. So if you're like, you know, st- you've started a new job, for instance, in the last year, and you're going to go into a new office building with new colleagues and so on, and you have you have certain ambitions that you want to achieve, like you don't know what's going to be on the other side of that door, what it's right. going to look like, what right. a day is going to be like. So planning will be hard. In that case, you may want to plan to plan. <laughs> so it may be that you need to schedule some reflection for yourself two weeks in, one week in, so that you can figure out, okay, what is working? Working, what isn't working and just it's it's an opportunity right now to be deliberate about the way we enter this new phase instead of um instead of just sort of like letting it car- carry us away and being swept into the future without using this opportunity for reflection to do better but i i absolutely agree with you some of the most exciting changes you don't know what they'll look like so you can't make those cue triggered plans instead you have to schedule in the time that you'll need down the line when you'll have more information and, and, and i would argue a lot of people can't tolerate that kind of change well, you've heard about uh, public rec. I talk about them all the time. Pants that, uh, man, they feel like sweatpants, but you can wear them as slacks. you got to check out public rec. They make leisure wear in waist and inseam sizes that are specific, so the comfort is perfect. It's all-day, everyday wear. Of course, that's their best-selling product, the all-day, everyday pants. They're a stylish alternative to sweatpants, and I wear them all the time. It's great for lounging at home, look sharp for work. I can't say enough about these pants. They come in waist and inseam sizing, so they fit short, tall, overweight, whatever it might be. Whatever your fit is, they fit you. All the things you want in a clothing, it's made from breathable, stretchy, moisture-wicking fabric. You can wear them 24-7, and they always look brand new. And they have zipper pockets. The pockets are the right depth. They're zippered. They have them in front and back. Nothing ever falls out and nine different colors. Plus, they've got comfortable shorts, T-shirts, Henley polos. 
Henleys, polos, hoodies, jackets, even golf gear. That's right. Public Rec's game-changing fabric in their wardrobe in all these different forms. I recommend them most highly. And as the world is opening back up, make sure you've got clothes that are as flexible as your life is. Public Rec rarely discounts, but right now they have an exclusive offer just for the Dr. Drew Podcast listeners. Go to publicrec.com slash Drew to receive 10% off. That is publicrec.com slash Drew for 10 off. Next up, our friends at BetterHelp Online Therapy. That's right, uh, BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I have been recommending this to family, friends, patients, and BetterHelp sponsors the Dr. Drew Podcast, BetterHelp Online Therapy. And in May's Mental Health Awareness Month as well, throughout June, BetterHelp is proud to join the cause of destigmatizing therapy and mental health. So if you're struggling, BetterHelp will assess your needs, match you with your own licensed professional, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not a self-help line. Professional counseling done securely. Therapists have a broad range of expertise, so you can get exactly what you need. And services available for clients worldwide. Log into your account anytime. Send a message to your counselor. Schedule weekly video, phone, or even live chat sessions. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. And I think we're getting used to uh, you know the, the electronic medium and Zoom and connecting with people that way. And you don't have to have any uncomfortable waiting in a waiting room or anything like that. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. And our listeners get 10% off their first month of online therapy at BetterHelp.com slash Drew. That is BetterHelp.com slash Drew. Marie wasn't getting enough sleep. Every night she struggled with poor sleep, restless legs. But then she made a small change, and one month later, everything was better. All because she started taking Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers, the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium. Marie left a five-star rating saying, I'd give this 100 stars if I could. Within one month of use, I went from daily struggles with restless legs, constipation, poor sleep, to no struggles with any of that. I know it sounds dramatic and far-fetched, but it is true. And Marie is not the only one getting better sleep after taking Magnesium Breakthrough. Amanda says, quote, I fall asleep much faster and stay asleep now until normal waking hours. You have a customer for life. And Bill says, quote, on the first night of taking Magnesium Breakthrough, my deep sleep jumped up to two hours, which has been the highest reading so far from my Oura Ring. Listen, if you're having trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, one of the best things you can do is start by getting enough magnesium. It's simple. But please do not run to the store to buy the first magnesium supplement you find. Most magnesium supplements use only two of the cheapest synthetic forms. And since they're not full spectrum, they may not fix your magnesium deficiency or then may not help you sleep better. There are actually seven unique forms of magnesium, and you must get all of them if you want to experience its calming, sleep-enhancing effects. That's why I'm suggesting Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed, and you'll be amazed how much better you sleep. Magnesium is known to help sleep, and how much more rested you'll feel when you wake up. For an exclusive offer for my listeners, go to magbreakthrough.com slash Drew. Use code DrDrew10 during checkout to save 10%. That is magbreakthrough.com slash DREW and use the code DRDREW, DrDrew10 at checkout to save 10%. I'm, I'm particularly suited to it. I like it. I enjoy it. But a lot of people like recoil against it. Gary wants to say something. Uh, I'm in the middle of that right now. I started a new gig last week, and I'm I've only been to this new office once, and I'm still trying to get the lay of the land, and I'm you know trying to figure out what's expected of me and if they're how how they're feeling about what I'm doing. So I'm how do you what are your experiences? How do you feel about all this? Uh, I was a little. It, it, it happened really quick. I thought I was going in for an interview on a Friday and it turned out I sort of already had the job and it was start on Monday and then I went out on Monday and then it was, well, now we're, we're going to take the next week off. So I'm sort of in this limbo of like, I <laughs> well, was so there. This, this is the external causes of change. Though. This isn't like you're planning and changing. True. No, I'm, I'm just saying. This I'm, is adapting. This yes. adaptation, which I would argue is a little different than what uh, Katie's But my sample about. size to be able to try to reflect, as Katie was just talking about, is very small at this point. So I'm struggling yeah, with that a little early. bit. Okay. Yeah. But, it, but it is, um, you know, it, it, a lot of the things, the things that happen that sweep you up, they're opportunities too, right? And there's elements of this that maybe you at least know, like maybe you know your work schedule is going to be different. Yeah. Maybe you know, right, your commute is going to be different. And yeah. there might be things you want to plan and can plan that are, are knowns around that because you have this, like maybe you decide you want to take a bike and and you've always 
driven before and you can plan how you're going to make that work for you or maybe it, but, you want to have a different – But I want to go back to the, the people yeah. that constitutionally don't like the unknown Yeah, who stuff. don't like yeah. the unknown stuff. Yeah, because I, I really – I mean, I like it. <laughs> that's my thing. Yeah. Uh, but I know that that's kind of unusual. Yeah, it's a it's a good question. So, um, if change is difficult for you, what are the things you can do? It's well, not, one not of even the- change. I know a lot of I've noticed a lot of people are well. Again, that that grief thing, or maybe those motivational states that we as you discussed earlier. But but there's also this constitutional thing I've noticed where people are like, oh, I could never do that. I can never do that. It's like that's sort of what they they mm-hmm. feel they could never do it as a they're constitutionally not suited to it. How do we help those people? Yeah, I would put that in the category of um, sort of confidence and believing in yourself. Okay, so let's let's get into that. Okay, so I I I don't like the term confidence. I don't like it. I, I'm sorry. I, I I just think it's too vague. I, I don't know what people are really talking about when they say that. So can we can we do you like self efficacy? <laughs> I do like self efficacy. I I do like it. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I would. Okay. I think I think a lot a lot of the terminology that I use in the book is sort of like familiar to most and lay terminology I, I, I get academics it. would I, use different I, I, I terms. totally understand and that's probably why I don't like I mean I confidence I, I just see it used in so many and, and by the way all those sort of BSers use it you know as, as you said the people that are advocating for change like you need to have confidence what, what the hell what, what are you talking about are you talking about affect regulation you're talking about mood are you talking about elation are you talking about self self um you know, reducing self-stigma? Are you talking about self-efficiency, self-efficacy? There's all these different things. Do you parse that all apart? Um, I I focus on self-efficacy a lot in the book, and I also focus a bit on um, the knowledge you need to actually succeed and, and the knowledge that it's doable. So those are like very specifically just beliefs that you can adopt based on what you observe and and see as possible around you. So I have I spent a couple chapters talking about different things that seem to boost those um traits. Okay, I'll so so self-efficacy, states. right. So let, let's kind of drill in self-efficacy a little bit. Because self-efficacy people sometimes over often overestimate their self-efficacy. And so they go out and try stuff, it doesn't work, they feel diminished and they don't want to do it again. So in my world, what I encourage people to do is take small, you know, experiment. It's like be a scientist with your self-efficacy yeah. and and scaffolding, scaffold your self-efficacy. Do you talk about that at all? Say more about what you mean. That you need to have a structure in place of support and evaluate. This is back mm-hmm. to your planning thing. It, it's what teachers do. It's teachers provide scaffolding. Let's say you're learning a new language. They, they provide you the material. They scaffold you. They give you feedback. They're encouraging mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And when you fail, they kind of show you where you failed and keep moving you forward. That kind of scaffolding has to come from outside. Like I'm yeah. trying to learn Greek right now. We're going to Greece. And, I've, and, and I'm, pro- I'm mostly doing it because I had COVID brain and I was aware that my brain wasn't working right. And I thought I bet – I bet if I learn a new language, it would help me, help me immensely. But I'm getting to the point now where I need scaffolding. I need, I need a tutor because I'm just some, things are just not happening, and I don't understand why in certain areas. Uh, I don't feel diminished by that. I just feel like I need that scaffolding to move me forward. Mm-hmm. Um, am I on anything there? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the biggest ways that I guess I would say I'd talk about what you call a scaffolding in the book is um, peer support. And yeah. so who are the people you surround yourself with? Who are the mentors you choose? Yeah. Um, and uh, how important that is, your social circumstances, whether, you know, selected um, because you were very deliberate about it or accidentally you were thrown into it, have this huge impact and outside outsized impact on your confidence or your self-efficacy um, and your achievement. And so I think I think um, one way that we can support ourselves is by being a bit more deliberate about the, the people we surround ourselves with. Um, 100%. They, there's, you know, there you can go too far if you choose a bunch of peers who you think are, are super achievers to try to push you. And then the gap, the gulf is too big. So actually, I talk a bit about how that can be it can be demotivating if you end up with sort of um, too big a gap. You need to find people who will stretch you, who believe in you, um, who will support you and are ideally like, you know, pulling you in the right direction a little bit, but not, you know, like I, not, you if the, you want to be an entrepreneur, not Jeff yeah. Bezos. No, the per- <laughs> right. The perfect model, the perfect model in my mind always is a fighter. He returns to the ring. He turns to his corner in the ring. In his, in his corner is a coach 
and a you know water guy and an ice guy, and they're all there. None of them are good fighters, you know what I mean? But they know good fighting, and and there are good fighters out there that you can try to be like. But those aren't the guys in your corner. The guys in your corner, and by the way, you can interact with other great fighters and find out what they do, what they know. But in your corner is your coach, right? Isn't isn't that a good model for this? I love it. Um, but uh, let me actually flip that on its head and tell you something a little counterintuitive Good. that I think is Good. really important and is in the book. That, Good. That you were and by, and by the way, I am I am skating across the surface on a lot of these things intentionally. So you all will go buy the book. So go ahead, give me the <laughs> put it on its ear. Um, well, hopefully this will still be helpful, even yeah. if you don't. But, no, yeah, um, but there's there's lots more. If, yeah, that's in the, book. the point. Um, lots more. Lots more. So, okay. So here's one insight. And you were saying earlier, you're interested in things that surprised me. Um, this certainly surprised me. It's an insight from um, Lauren Eschris Winkler, who's about to start a faculty job at the Kellogg School at Northwestern and was a, a postdoc at Wharton. Um, she had this insight about self-efficacy and motivation that I think is just so important that I hadn't had and I, I didn't appreciate initially, which is that we spend a lot of time um, when we're struggling at something, getting advice from other people, often that's unsolicited, that often feels like really obvious. We're like, yeah, yeah, I knew. I knew if I wanted to do better in school, I should probably study more. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for your brilliant insight. Yeah. And so many people, and it, and it actually really can be demotivating to have people tell you these things you already know and constantly like sort of almost talking down to you. And she had the, she asked the question, what if we flip the script? Because it seems so demotivating when somebody comes and tells you, like how to do something that you kind of already maybe know how to do. She'd done all these interviews with people who are struggling to achieve more and found they actually have a lot of insight. She said, what if instead we put you in the role of mentor? Like you're the coach. Mm. If you're trying to improve, yeah. we ask you for your advice. And, um, we ran, she ran a number of experiments. I ran one with her that I'll describe where we randomly assigned students at the beginning of the third quarter, high school students to either be told, Hey, um, you're a pure, coach. We want you to give some mentoring and guidance to younger students. Um, just, you know, write some advice and answer to a few questions about how they can study more effectively and do better in school. Um, so half of students got that prompt and the other half didn't. Uh, about 2,000 students were randomly assigned in this experiment. And then we looked at, and it took about 10 minutes of their time. They're told their peer mentors. We looked at their grades at the end of the third quarter, and we found that the students who had been asked to coach others had significantly higher grades, both in math and in the the class that they um, had told us they most hoped to improve in. Uh, we weren't turning you know C students into valedictorians, but it was like a one-point Great improvement on a scale from 50 to 100. So, you know, for eight minutes of, of just reflecting in a way that, on how they could help other people with some advice. And we think a few things are going on from Lauren's other research in this setting. One is you feel good when you're asked for advice. It boosts your motivation, your self-efficacy. You're like, hey, if people think that I have a clue, I must have a clue. Uh, two, it leads you to introspect about things that might work for you that you maybe didn't bother to introspect about for before because you need to actually you know communicate this to someone now and finally once you say it to someone else you don't want to be a hypocrite and so there's some um you know there's sort of the saying is believing effect and cognitive dissonance kick in and you feel like i want to be uh consistent and i want to act on on these pieces of advice i've given others so i think um you know you're talk you spend a lot of time thinking about addiction issues I, I think it's completely i know it's not accidental that alcoholics anonymous assigns people sponsors right? There's, of course, the benefits of having someone you can go to if you're struggling, but being the sponsor can be beneficial as well, because now someone is looking up to you, looking to you for advice, and you feel like you need to live up to those big shoes, and it's going to build your confidence. There is something massive in this observation. I think if you keep mining here, you will find many, many, many more things besides the ones you've just listed. Uh, I, this rings bells for me on a hundred levels. Uh, let me just say, um, for instance, I'm going to give you like three or four different things where this has had massive um, effect in, in my world. One was I was shocked when we did celebrity rehab that every, we took our treatment of these patients very, very seriously. They benefited from the treatment and there was a thing that happened to every single one of them because of the cameras that I was shocked by, which they once they realized they were deriving benefit, we were serious about what was going on. They all articulated they wanted to do well so they could be an example for other people. 
Isn't that interesting? I had no idea that was coming. It was shocked to me when I first heard it. But every single one of them after that said the same thing. So that's that effect you're talking about. Absolutely, that accountability and that sense. Isn't that, that I'm, something? I'm being, so like, I, I, know. I was thinking because I, I was so worried the cameras would have a negative effect, and then I saw this happening. I'm like, the cameras are helping somehow. They they make them stay in treatment. It makes them accountable, and then they want to share this with other people. Incredible. So that was astonishing to me. But fits your research. Number one, number two, training of doctors. I see this all the time. I see doctors not performing well when I'm teaching them. But when they get to the point that they're having to teach others, magically they get their shit together. Uh, There's a saying in medicine, see one, do one, teach one. (laughs) That's how medicine is taught, everybody. Sorry, but that's how every procedure, how everything in medicine is taught. They watch you. They watch me. They do it themselves. I watch them. And then they teach somebody else. And as soon as they start teaching somebody else, they, they, they elevate way up in terms of their performance. In fact, I always wondered how some of these doofuses that I was training, <laughs> I mean humbly, <laughs> I was training that how they ever started performing later because they were just not getting it when I was training them. And they all get it. They all get there when they start training other people. Uh, so Absolutely. I- interesting. Uh, and then the phenomenon of teaching, everyone always says if you can get to the point where you can teach it, uh, you, 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 your own understanding grows. And to some extent, it's an internal kind of wiring processing thing to get to the point where you teach it that you have to – I'm going to use just a vague word, but I think I'm using the right word. You have to know it. You have to know it to be able to communicate it. You can't just kind of know it. You have to really know it in order to communicate it across. And again, I'm thinking about my little recent thing with learning Greek. There's certain things I do know because I've sat and reflected about that I've heard it and dealt with it enough that I could sit and reflect about. And there's a lot of stuff that I'm familiar with but I don't know yet. And that's the part where I'm lacking right now. That's whatever. Uh, and then I had a, thir- a fourth point. Shoot. This is that's the- a lot to hold in mind. There's a yeah. chapter about forgetting in the book. This so is- <laughs> you're all set. <laughs> Let me assure you when you have COVID, that chapter becomes more relevant. Um, uh, there was a really important point. It's relevant to me too. I haven't had COVID and I still forget Well, as all you get older, it's just it's working memory. <laughs> it's, it's working memory is the problem, right? Because there's memory, which I'm pretty good at, but then working memory, holding something in mind while you're it's talking true. about something but else. You're right. Those are important distinctions. Yeah. And, that, and the book is more focused, less on working memory than memory. Yeah. And working memory is what shrinks as you age. Uh, t- let me just think about it for a second because I think it was an important point. Rehab, medicine, teaching. Uh, Oh well, maybe it'll come to me as we talk, but but I think this is uh, this is something that I've never seen sort of pointed out in the uh, common conversation about change. Uh, oh, I know. It was, it was, I agree with that. I was going to talk about the the uh, sponsor thing. That was the other thing. Um, it's the twelfth step. It's a part of the process, and I tell everybody that uh, gets involved with this, I say, you you got to have that relationship, and I could go into another hour on why that relationship is so important, not just the mentoring and all that, but when you – oh, I know what my point was, That, but part of this is engagement and service, uh, and that – that's an elevating experience for human beings. Absolutely, the yeah, selflessness. It, it, yeah, of it's it. leading. It when when people wrote about the good life back in the you know Stoic era, this is what they talked about. Uh, the good life is about service to others, and uh, this is interesting, and that is right there in the middle of this. Isn't that yes. interesting? Oh, please write more about that because that part is just <laughs> not in the common it's, conversation. It's, it's a big part of the book, and it was a big aha moment for me. Um, I feel I feel in hindsight like oh I should have gotten it all along, but but, it, it <laughs> but, was a but big, that's uh, where the maintenance, moment. especially this is that maintenance piece, right? Yeah. And people talk about maintaining, 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 but no one ever talks about this. And yet I, I know in my you know when I'm dealing with drug addicts, it's it's right in the middle of what I'm talking about for them to do in terms of maintaining. For, first, I'm talking about developing the rapport with the sponsor, and then I'm talking about you be of service now. You got to get to that point. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, and, and now, our, our, is this chapter seven? Are we at chapter seven now? Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> okay, yeah, that, I don't know. I'm like, it, might, it could be chapter eight. Maybe I've mislabeled <laughs> in my brain. Working memory is not that deep. Uh-huh. The last chapter is about, ma- is about maintenance. Okay. That's, that's where I close so, naturally. Uh, and so is this part of that? Is um, the-, the, the main lesson I will say that I've learned in my career about maintenance is that um, – I had a misconception. I think a lot of us have a misconception that there is some set of tricks that we can deploy for a short period of time with extreme intensity 
And then magically after that, thereafter, we will be changed. And effortlessly, we will drift through the rest of our lives with these great habits and rid of all of our demons. Um, and there's just, it's just not, it's a, it's a fantasy. It doesn't exist. Um, and change, it was actually, change <laughs> is hard. Change Main, is hard. Maintaining change, change requires, is harder. <laughs> yeah. I mean, changing change. I don't know. If, I actually don't know if I'd agree it's harder, but there are certainly hard. moments also where you hard. fall down. Yeah. yeah and, it, and it's part of the process. My um, favorite conversation was with a, a, a brilliant doctor at um, Penn Medicine, Kevin Volpe, who runs a big group of behavioral um, economists who study behavioral economics and medicine. And I was talking to him about a study I'd run. We were trying to find something, you know, a treatment that would, after a month, carry people forward for years on end. And of course, it fell flat on its face. It worked for a month. And then once it was mm. removed, mm-hmm. you know, there was something like a 30% carryover effect of the change we'd induced, but nothing to rival what we were dreaming of. Uh, and I was just frustrated. And I was talking to him. I was like, why doesn't it stick? And he said to me, and this was such a helpful reframing, I sort of like smacked myself in the face. How how did it, I need someone to say this to me? But he said, look, Katie, you know, if, if I diagnose someone as a diabetic, I don't put them on insulin for a month and then take them off and hope they're magically cured. You know, it's a chronic condition. I treat it as a chronic condition. Why do we think change should be anything else? It, it's not like these barriers that keep us from achieving our goals, from, you know, the tendency to give into temptation, to um, lacking self-efficacy, to, um, you know, forgetting to, uh, to Wait, have Wait, hold, hold on a second. I, I want to make sure I hear what you're saying. So, so on one hand, there are these obstacles. Yes. But on the other hand, that's only part of what you have to look at. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying that once you've surmounted the obstacle, yes. it's not like it's just out of the way. Right, it's, right, right. It's not still like you're there. Done. You're done. Yeah. Well, yeah, the obstacles are no, still there. So the obstacles are, are the obstacles are still there. So, so that is the, the main thing that maintenance are still there. That makes sense. That's the main thing that maintenance is designed to address. Right now, are That's there right. are are there changes that are self sustaining? There are some, um, but they're they're fewer and farther between than I'd like. Um, uh, one, the, <laughs> then we'd one chapter, all like. <laughs> then we'd all like, yeah. yeah. One chapter of the book is, uh, it's titled Laziness, which is very negative, but actually I argue, and uh, probably better called inertia, um, I argue that it's actually a great feature of the human mind, just like as you'd want an algorithm to be lazy and find a quick and efficient solution. We are also always looking for sort of the easy, easiest way to get something down the path of least resistance and like, can I just not lift a finger? Um, and actually, that provides a little bit of an opportunity in some cases to, uh, to to put things on autopilot. So this this is most relevant, probably not in the areas that you study, right? It's really hard to put an end to addiction on autopilot. No, no, no. You can, I'm not even thinking. So, yeah. Well, but, well uh, to be fair, what we always tell them is go till you want to go. And that is that idea of it being rewarding enough at a certain point that it becomes there's a positive momentum to it. That the you know go till you want to go that they they resist 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 the obstacles 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 the biology is fighting them and then all of a sudden they find it rewarding they like to go they want to go mm-hmm. and so a lot of change is that way I mean if you can get to that point it's not easy to get to that point yeah if you can get far yeah. enough along yeah, yeah that well that's a nice framing well I w- I was going to say that the things where it can be a little bit of a one and done. Um, are things where you can put you can sort of make a single decision and it carries you forward, like enroll in a 401k program with auto deduct and I never have to do anything else again to take care of it or, you know, cancel all my subscriptions that are unnecessary. And like I save all that money every month forever after. Um, right. So there's like little sort of default switches yeah. that we can flip in life. And that those will are carry sort of psychological forward. switches, really. Right. Well, they're procedural, practical. procedural, procedural. Yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would yeah. say less psychological, yeah, and that, so the, the human then, and then the fact that you're unlikely to even remember that you're doing it, yeah. you know, or that it's happening automatically, yeah, yeah. Yeah. just carries you forward. And there are things like that in life, and whenever we can find them, those are the I, easiest I, ways. I, to, I guess to I was thinking about opt out options, that kind of thing. That opt out is exactly. sort of a psychological thing to opt out, but once you've opted out, it's procedural. So exactly, yeah. and those are the ones that stick. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's what sticks because there's no yeah. effort required. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, this is so good. This is so. I please send me your book. I can't wait to read it. I, I just feel like the the time is so have right. Have we not for, send you my book? Oh my gosh, Gary, do I not I'm have the book it. yet? I think it's here. Yeah, it's here. Okay, it might have arrived like two days ago. Okay, I'm gonna get right to it. <laughs> it I'm just, I just it. got my first copy. It's coming. Okay, I I, I'm so excited because because this is. Hope you'll like so, it. Oh, oh, please. Mm-hmm. 
Well, wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that helped you sleep focused better? Well, there is. If you've got 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. Daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditation in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. Headspace really can't help you feel better. If you need some help falling asleep, Headspace has a wind-down session that members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus. That's right. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. You deserve to feel better. You deserve to feel happier. Meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash Drew. That is headspace.com slash Drew for a free one-month trial with an access to Headspace full library of meditations for every situation. That is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash Drew today. Public rec, I talk about them all the time. Pants that, uh, man, they feel like sweatpants, but you can wear them as slacks. You got to check out Public Rec. They make leisure wear in waist and inseam sizes that are specific, so the comfort is perfect. It's all day, everyday wear. Of course, that's their best selling product, the all day, everyday pants. They're a stylish alternative to sweatpants, and I wear them all the time. It's great for lounging at home, look sharp for work. I can't say enough about these pants. They come in waist and inseam sizing, so they fit short, tall, overweight, whatever it might be. Whatever your fit is, they fit you. All the things you want in a clothing, it's made from breathable, stretchy, moisture-wicking fabric. You can wear them 24-7, and they always look brand new. And they have zipper pockets. The pockets are the right depth. They're zippered. They have them in front and back. Nothing ever falls out and nine different colors. Plus, they've got comfortable shorts, T-shirts, Henley polos, Henleys, polos, hoodies, jackets, even golf gear. That's right. Public Rec's game-changing fabric in their wardrobe in all these different forms. I recommend them most highly. And as the world is opening back up, make sure you've got clothes that are as flexible as your life is. Public Rec rarely discounts, but right now they have an exclusive offer just for the Dr. Drew Podcast listeners. Go to publicrec.com slash Drew to receive 10% off. That is publicrec, R-E-C, dot com slash Drew for 10% off. Uh, this is just something I'm fascinated. I'll, I'll tell you, let me just add one thing that I have found in, in looking at these moments of change. Now, again, I'm looking at these profound moments of change, not, yes. not contemplative moments of change, change where people's lives just go from one direction to another. Yeah. And you see if this has meaning to the stuff you research. In almost all cases, uh, I find that people will have had in the weeks to months leading up to their moment of change – some sort of novel relationship. In other words, hanging with somebody that they normally wouldn't be around, but they find them intriguing. They, and they, and what I'm getting a little chills when I talk about this because it's so profound. What they end up doing, the patient, the person who's trying to change, is what, the way I frame it. And there's actually a famous book that calls it this. They see themselves through a new pair of glasses. Mm-hmm. And often the, they will describe to me a moment, and it often involves a mirror. Where they literally look in the mirror, and go, "Oh my God, that's me!" I, this is, and and they will experience disgust. That is disgusting. I have to change something. And disgust is a very motivating feeling. Disgust makes us makes us move away, and they have to move away from that and change. So they will often describe seeing themselves as they really are, meaning seeing what the addiction is doing to them and how physically deteriorated, et cetera, et cetera, uh, in in a in a flash, in 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 a mirror. Strangely enough. Uh, and then feel often some sort of very negative affect that motivates change. That's really this, interesting. It's so related to fresh starts. It is related to fresh starts. Talking start. about yes. because it, and and the person it sounds like is the trigger for the chapter. It, or it, for it, the it, it moves them. It it you know humans. You know you know we have this thing which is two, two skulls together. I personally humbly believe that's actually where consciousness emerges, but it also allows us to see ourselves reflected in the other. And so we literally perceive the self. The self may change a little bit, but we also perceive ourselves differently. And those are those moments. Um, Is there anything in that for your stuff? So much. Um, I do think, you know, I write a lot about peer effects and, um, and just how strong they are, right? The, the, 
these are some smaller examples, but like the college roommate you're randomly assigned has an effect on your grades. Um, the people we surround ourselves with shape us. They shape us for two, two key reasons. Um, they give us information about what's possible. And, uh, and we also want to conform because we don't want to feel like, you know, the, the weirdo. (laughs) So those two things together can really shape us tremendously. And, and also I actually, I really like your point about, um, you know, looking in the mirror, sometimes when we can see ourselves through someone else's eyes, or we see someone who reminds us of ourselves, there's an ability to, um, look more closely, right. And to understand better and more accurately. Yeah. Maybe more accurately because it's hard to see yourself as an outsider, but you can see someone else as an outsider. And then, uh, and then that can, and and then when somebody sees you in a new light, so to speak, because normally we, we keep people around us that reinforce our sense of self, right? They'll go to the echo chambers. People, not all of us do, but yes, (laughs) right. Yeah. Right. Huh. Better not to. Yeah. It is better not to. So this is all such, such great stuff. So let's just – we have like five more minutes. Let's wrap with what can the average person – and this may be a deeply unfair question, but what can the average person do with this material? So here we're presenting all this stuff to them. Do do you have sort of quote advice? Well, I I think, you know, I wrote a book that I hope is incredibly practical. You know, I've spent my career in – attending academic conferences and and running academic studies and publishing and peer-reviewed journals. And the reason I wrote this book is that I realized that the things that I'd learned in my career studying change could really help people. You know, we'd prove it in time again in, in the studies we're doing, but, you know, five people read an academic article, seven if you're lucky. And, and there was so much um, that I wanted to make sure would reach a much wider group of people who are struggling with change and who could benefit from these insights. So the book is really meant to be completely practical. You know, there's I think there's exciting ideas in there too, hopefully for the person who just sort of like likes watching National Geographic and understanding the world around them. There's some really interesting things along those lines that you'll learn along the way about, you know, the way autobiographical memory works or where memory palaces come from. Those are two memory examples, but yes. very unrelated, actually. I love them. Um, and uh, so there's there's that. There's sort of like the tour of human nature that's fun, I think. But mostly, it's really meant to be practical. And every chapter ends with a bulleted list of, you know, here's how you can use this. Like, here, you know, now that you understand that giving advice to other people can actually help you achieve more, can, you know, here's some things you can do. You can think about creating an advice club where you um, team up with other people, peers who have similar ambitions, and you each reach out to each other. And not only will you learn from other people's insights, but every time they ask you for wisdom, you will learn something too. So um, it's filled with that. And I, so I hope when readers pick it up, they'll see, they'll see no, um, you know, no gap between, between uh, the aspiration to offer advice and guidance and, and practical tips and, and what they get. And I, it's, it's so funny you mentioned autobiographical, autobiographical memory. I just immediately flash on Mary Lou Hanna, who I've interviewed a few times, and she has you know that syndrome where she has all her autobiographical data in her mind at all times. Oh my gosh! And, oh, oh yeah. There's a syndrome of this, and her kids are super brilliant. It's just it's something to do with intelligence too. But she, I literally had a very powerful experience with her watching her on the Tonight Show in 1979, and I brought it up, and she goes, "Oh yeah, I was wearing the white shoes, and there's a dress I was wearing," and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" She remembered everything, David, and it was David Letterman was the host, not Johnny Carson, and I remember what he was saying. I was like, "Wow, crazy!" I mean, she can bring that up, you can, you can put a calendar date to her, and she can tell you what she was doing on that date. And that, that is so awful. <laughs> it must I'm be a glad, curse yeah, I was too. Say, I'm so glad <laughs> so, that I don't have that <laughs> ability. But. Um, I, I do so appreciate you reading, reading this book. I can't wait to gig, dig into it. I just want everyone to go get it right now. The book, again, is How to Change. And I was just thinking, again, the, the subtitle is Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. And I was thinking about all the shitty data that's out there about change. But to be fair, um, those people could serve as the coaching function, uh, I guess. You could you could go to people that have the empty platitudes for coaching if you want, but you gotta you got to come at it with the substance. And this is the substance of all that, uh, which is the book How to Change. Katie, any last thoughts? Just thank you for having me. This was so interesting. It was really interesting to hear about some of your reflections from having well, I, I figured, looked at this issue from a different perspective. But I, I knew it had to be – there had to be a 
confluence. It had to be because we're both looking at the same thing and you, you can't help but come to similar conclusions when you look at this thing. It's, it's pretty vivid and it's pretty poorly represented realistically out in the world. So uh, I, I knew when, and you dug in, we would have sort of a, a similar way of doing it. But my stuff is, you know, I have a certain structure and a certain thing and I'm trying to accomplish certain things. This is, this is much more for the average person and for me, frankly, because I'm thinking about a fresh start. <laughs> and so that's one of the I'm reasons I'm excited I, for I, your fresh start yeah, and all I, the Greek you've I, learned and the adventure I know, right? you're going I, on. I am a, a, a fatty <laughs> stow. But, but I am, I am uh, excited to dig into it personally as well as uh, to see other people uh, thrive as a result. So again, Katie Milkman, katymilkman.com, Katie underscore Milkman on Twitter. And uh, thank you, Katie. We will see everyone next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. 